Hi, this is Dusty Wells. And this is Dave Clark. And you're listening to I I Love Love to Tell Tell the Story. Having worked in the Christian music business for the last 40 years and working alongside the record companies and the artists, (laughs) let me assure you, my friends, we've got some great stories for you. Dusty and I started about the same time in the industry, but I've been working on the other side of the street with songwriters and publishers and copyright administration. But either way, trust me, between the two of us, we know where all the bodies are buried. I hope you enjoy our show. I love love to to tell tell the story. So, Dusty, we've been talking about doing this for how long? Let me tell you, I think it's been a year or more. I think it has. Here's one of the things that I keep thinking about. You and I have probably had more meetings in this town where we accomplish nothing because we always get together. And Dave, I love this about you. For years, whenever we get together, we go in with a good plan. We think this is what we're going to talk about. But all we do, we end up telling each other stories. And (laughs) I ask you things about things. Well, what about this? Did you do this? And you ask me stuff. And it's just story after story after story. And we laugh. And some of them we can share. (laughs) And and there's a few of them. There's a few of them that we... We'll have to dance around a little bit. But, you know, one of the the common things in all of our conversations seem to be that we feel like we've been walking opposite side of the street, but we've both been in proximity to the story. The meetings always seem to end with one of us saying that, you know what, we need to find a way to share these or they're going to get lost with our generation. I so believe that. I know uh, there's just so many wonderful stories out there that people can learn from, that I've learned from, that you've learned from. Sure. And I think that is the key in all of this is uh, there's a place for these stories. There's a, that Each one of us have something to learn. Every time I'm with you, every time I talk with you, I know that there are stories that need to be out there and they need to be shared. And I love that the artists... This and the songwriters, or whoever it is, people from the industry, uh, we have so many different people we're going to be talking with. They've got stories to tell that are going to help right. somebody else along the journey, or it's going to uh, share just a bevy of information with them. And for me, there was a reality check. Uh, last year, they opened up a new Southern Gospel Music uh, Museum over in Pigeon Forge. And I remember walking through the museum for the first time with my daughter, and she didn't grow up in Southern Gospel, and I was trying to explain all the pictures on the wall, and while we were talking about them, it dawned on me that I either know everybody that's hanging on the wall, or I know somebody who know them firsthand, and that's unique to generations like yours and mine, Dusty. It's so true, uh, because I work daily with artists, songwriters, record companies. There's many times I'll be with somebody and I'll say, well, now back when we did this and we, we, we marketed this way, we brought this song. I remember when this song was first brought to us. And sometimes I'll listen, I'll look at the young artists and they have no idea or that young person in the, that works for a record company, they have no idea, but they have such a hunger of wanting to know about it. And I love that part of it. I, I, I've been, been so blessed to be able to do this for 40 years and I'm still doing it. I'm one of the last guys, just like Dave. Well, 
you're a lot older than me, but we're still doing what we are so right. crazy passionate about doing. Because you can't outrun a call. And the thing that you and I share in common is we are both doing exactly what God called us to do. One of the other things I, I'm excited about this podcast is that if you're listening and you've already decided, hey, this is only going to be about Southern gospel and I'm not really into that, here's why we start with Southern gospel. Because you cannot tell the story of Christian music without an understanding of Southern gospel music because it gave us our roots. And even back before Southern gospel got its start, there were people like James Devon and people that set the table for the Blackwood brothers and, and people like, like that who helped form the gospel music association. So in order for us to tell the story of wherever you are, we're going to find it at some point. I so agree. You know, when I first heard Christian music, I it wasn't identified to me as Southern Gospel. It was heart music. I've called, said that for years. It was music that touched a part of my heart that nothing else could. And along the way, I've got to work with the best of the best in Southern Gospel and the best of the best in contemporary music. And at the end of the day, when I look at a song, I mean, I look at you as a songwriter, Dave. You're one of the most successful songwriters in contemporary Christian music. But so many of those songs have been brought over and done in the Southern gospel market at the same. And what you're writing now, you're just writing songs that you've always had inside of you, but they cross all boundaries. And that's what I want us to be able to share is, hey, this isn't just Southern gospel. This is just Great music, heart music. Heart music is a great way to say it. And if you don't write from your heart, mm. it isn't going to work any place. And if you do write from your heart, it's going to work in just about every genre. And someone told me early on that because I primarily write lyrics, I can decide when I'm done. And I, I thought that was an interesting insight that if I wrote music, the industry would tell me when I was done. But I love the fact that I still write with the same music writers that I started out with because they too have continued to be consistent to who they were. And so it's always real. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's what I've loved about being on the business side of it is I would see what you as the songwriter would bring us. Um, and we would get to able, we were able at that point to put it with an artist that maybe we knew what they wanted to say, or we'd, we'd get to help take that song and put it out there wherever. I always like to say we got to take that song and the artistry and healthily exploit it, healthily exploit their heart of and getting the music out there. So I think what we're going to do is pretty going to be fun. I think we're going to get some great stories. I know we both have our own stories <laughs> and um, we're going to be able to uh, encourage, hopefully make some people laugh maybe equip them along the way with some of these stories about the importance of what this music business is all about. So one of the things when we talk about stories that, yes, we love to tell them, but it's not just our stories. It's stories that we've been the benefit of. And I remember when I was young, uh, playing with the Spear family, I traveled with them for five years. Sometimes we would work with groups like the cathedrals, and afterwards we would all end up at the truck stop. 
And I couldn't wait to get to the table to hear stories when Ben and uh, George and Glenn and all of them got together. There were things that they probably wouldn't have shared other places, and some of those that I probably won't share here. But I, I was always drawn to the story. But there's a difference between a great story and an impact story. And a great story would be Ronnie Henson wrote The Lighthouse. A compelling story is, do you know where he wrote the lighthouse and in what the circumstances were and what led him to that point? Those are the kind of things that we're going to peel back in these upcoming episodes. Yes, I totally agree with that, Dave. I love that the word that you use, compelling. The stories behind so many of the things we've heard, everybody's heard so many stories of, yes, this person wrote this song. Yes, this person wrote this song. But I love to go in deeper. I, being traveling with the Rambos for years. I mean, we've both had such a rich legacy and history of the artists that we've been so blessed and fortunate to travel with. But I loved it when I would sit with Dottie Rambo in the midst of her great pain, and I would sit there with her at the at the end of her life, and I'd say, Dottie, tell me how you wrote. He looked beyond my faults and saw my needs. Everyone knew that was a song that she wrote for her brother. But I wanted to get in there and dig in deep and say, okay, where were you at on your own journey? And that's what I've always prided myself on was digging in deep. And I love being able to that. We're going to be able to share some of these stories. We're going to have some firsthand um, people tell their own stories and dig in deep. Um, And like you said, we won't be able to tell all of it. We know a little. <laughs> we know quite a bit. We, we still need block. to work in this yeah, town. That's exa- boy, that's the truth. But we can get those people uh, to talk a little bit and share their heart and dig in deep with the stories. One of the things that makes the idea of doing a podcast like this with you compelling to me is not only did we uh, spend about the same amount of time in the business. But like I said, we did it from different sides of the street. Uh, But the other thing is the roads that led us to gospel music could not have been more opposite. And I grew up in a home where um, everything was, you know, we subscribed to the singing news. That I was, I grew up in, in that home where you went to church three times a week and, and I didn't know any other road to get there. It was such a natural thing. And your story is not quite the same as mine. You want, you want to share some of that? I would love to. You know, I was a 14-year-old kid. I had been abused in every way. My mom had been married multiple times. And she was, I always loved to tell this part of it. My mother was just a product of the way she had been raised. She did her very best for us. But we lived in a housing development that was for people on welfare and divorced mothers and widows. And um, just a real abusive life. I don't ever remember, Dave, I'm, I, I don't ever remember hearing any talk hardly of Jesus. You'd hear a few things. I remember at my great-grandmother's house, I can remember that she had a picture of the Good Shepherd, but I didn't know anything about Christianity, not one thing. My mother did teach me the importance of music. And so she'd always play music, and she'd play the Carpenters and James Taylor and Carol King. And I loved Back then, that was real heart music. I mean, it was it was the songwriters, it was the storytellers, and um, there was one Saturday morning. I was home alone, seventeen Collingwood Circle in Twin Falls, Idaho, and a precious couple came and did what they used to call door knocking 
and inviting kids to Sunday school. And I happened to be at home, and I was 14, and I was older than most of the kids that would ride on these church buses, but this couple took an interest in me, and they introduced me to church. They would come and get me on Sunday mornings on the bus, and then they'd come and get me on Sunday night in their car, and they'd come on Wednesday, and they, and they took an interest in me. And Dave, one of the first things that they did, probably a couple of weeks after they'd been bringing me to church, they invited me to their house for a Sunday afternoon. And I went over to their house, and we ate dinner. And they didn't have a TV, but they had a record player. <laughs> and uh, they, I remember them, I can still remember this. This has been 51 years ago. I can still remember them sitting in those chairs with their eyes closed and they'd put that stack of records on a turntable. And um, I'd sit there, and I'd look at these record covers, and I'd think, hmm. But I'd listen to that music, and I'd hear those songs like, uh, I feel the touch of hands so kind and tender. They're leading me. Or then I'd hear, only Jesus can satisfy your soul. I'd listen to these songs over and over, and I didn't know what kind of music it was. I didn't know anything about it, but I knew there was something about these lyrics that got deep in my heart at this young, I mean, I was such a troubled kid. I was, I was miserable in so many ways, but I'd sit there and listen to that music, and they introduced me to what Christian music is. They didn't call it Southern Gospel. They didn't call it inspirational. They called it, this is just Christian music. This is gospel music. And those songs impacted my life at 14. And um, I, the journey has been incredible. I, I mean, I have no college education. I have nothing like you. I'm not smart like you. But I have a love for Christian music because I am a product of what that Christian music does. And don't ever assume that a writer is smarter. That, that, uh, <laughs> there's a perception that writers are all deep, deep thinkers. And uh, somebody asked me one time, "Where do you get your inspiration?" And and you know, well, I play a lot of PlayStation. <laughs> I, 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 I don't that. get to anymore, but you know, it, everybody gets their their well filled from different places. And you know, a lot of writers say, "Well, I read and I do this." And I, I uh, one one writer friend said. Uh, you seem to get there just doesn't make sense. And I said, I, I, I know that that's the only thing consistent with me is that none of it makes sense. But the thing we share is that we have both been profoundly impacted by the music and what keeps us in the hunt, what keeps us active and hopefully relevant after 40 years each is that we're still a fan. We are still a fan of the people who make the music and what the music does to us. And yet um, time makes you a little bit, uh, you want it more real. If it's not relevant, if it's not compelling to me, if it doesn't make me think about something in a way I've never thought about it, I'm probably not going to want my name on it as a writer. No, I totally agree. You know, uh, I, I've always, from the time I heard this music, I, there again, I had nothing to go by. I had nothing. I didn't know the artists. I couldn't have told you one thing about this music. But what I did love, and even today, after 51 years, and especially after the 40 years plus of being in this business, is I want real. I've always been a person who's wanted real. I want those lyrics that are real. You know, you probably knew him. I met him a couple of times. Bob Benson always said, 
it all begins with a song. And that has played so true to me because the song is the most, to me, it's the most important part of what we do, what you do, what I do. And I want it to be real. I've never been a fan. I mean, I like fluff songs. I like funny songs. I like clever songs. But man, when it gets to a song that is real, and especially the older I get, the older I get, I said this to somebody, I told this to Joseph Habedank the other day, the older I get, I want to hear songs about heaven. (laughs) I want to hear those songs about, I'm going to see Jesus one of these days. I want real. I want, I want, I want that artist to just pour out their, their song and their stories to me. I mean, and, and let me hear it in a in a way that that's that's so real. But if we were to make our top ten list of songs that have impacted us, I bet we'd have quite a few overlaps. And and one of the things that would surprise people, we tend to think of a song that's emotional as just a ballad, and yet that's not the case at all. When a well written song, it can be up tempo, but if it's coming from a real place, drawn from a real you know, water from a real well, there can be just as much impact and emotional impact from an up tempo song. Oh, totally, totally. Some of my some of my favorite songs are up tempo songs, fast songs that make me want to stand up and do a Pentecostal <laughs> jig, maybe. Please don't but, do that today. No, okay. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be reserved here. But no, you're exactly right. You're you are so right. Those those are those songs that you just hear and you think, oh yeah, this is what it's all about. Dave, you know, people know a little bit about us now, know a little bit about our journeys, but I want to know from you, I want you to share a little bit of those pivotal points along the way that have not given you the right, because I don't know if we're ever given the right, but why you? Why do you want to do a little bit of this today? Tell us a little bit of your own story that, that we're going to be asking other people about. I want to know about your story. You may think you want to know it, but when I tell you, you may, may not find it interesting at all. I, I grew up in Michigan, a small town called Jackson, and um, I don't know how to explain it except it was an obvious call from God and and... I knew I was supposed to write songs, and and my dad worked at a factory. My mom was a school secretary. There's no way you can connect those dots, and I end up here doing what I'm doing. Uh, but it was I was young, and I knew that. It's the only thing I've ever felt like I was supposed to do. And and we were pretty young, and we went out to a revival service in in our little town, and in the evangelist that week was a guy named Ray Overholt, who was from Battle Creek, Michigan, right up the road. And he sang some songs that he had written. And I had knew those songs. One was Hallelujah Square. Uh, I saw a blind man and, and this guy was blind. And I got, I got to shake this songwriter's hand afterwards. And, and I could tell you stories of we didn't have a lot of money, but a priority for my dad and mom was um, there was a guy named Lloyd Orell, and he he promoted concerts, all-night sings, they called them, up in Michigan. And we'd go 
when those schedules would come out, we would book our year around getting to go to those in a place called Masonic Temple in Detroit. And and it was a big deal. It was a sacrifice on my parents' part. But my dad and mom loved the music. And as a kid, they would do the they would do the three for five record special and, and dad would get records and then it got eight tracks and when those became available for your car, that was a big deal. But I was the one standing in line paying a dollar a copy for the sheet music because I wanted to get the autographs from the writers. I love that. I absolutely love that sheet music that you, I, how many of those groups had those big sheet music stands in the back of their concerts? And when, when Gaither started coming out with the, the note on the front of the sheet music. And if you're, if you remember those sheet music, the, Irony is the note is backwards on the cover, but you know, that's, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I still have a collection that I bet would, uh, it would make you laugh because whenever I see you post something online, I go, huh, she's got the same collection I've got. I love that. That is so funny. I love that. Um, back then, because we both were in part as we as we got older and everything, I cannot tell you how many times people would come up to different artists that I've been out on the road with and brought a piece of sheet music that was signed from back then. They didn't bring vinyl. I mean, some of them, I know they have vinyl, but they'd bring a piece of that sheet music that was signed. And I, I've always loved seeing that. Yeah. So that's a great. I love that. So I moved here when I was 17, but I came down a couple of weeks after high school just to see what the landscape looked like in Nashville. And I knew a kid named Brian Spear, but I also knew a guy named Andy Tolbert, who I'd met, both of them at a music school, uh, Stamps Blackwood School of Music in Murray, Kentucky. And Brian was out on the road, but I went to see Andy, and he lived by himself in an apartment off Lebanon Road. And I went to see him, and I said, Andy, I think I'm going to move down here. Would you be interested in a roommate? And he said, no, not really. I kind of like living by myself. And I didn't have a plan B. I didn't know what, what the backup was. But And it wasn't mean. It was just like he was honest. And so we're sitting there talking, and I, I didn't know what my next plan was. But while we were there... The phone rings, and Andy picks up the phone. I only hear one side of the conversation. And he goes, well, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I understand. Well, thank you for the opportunity. And Andy was playing bass at the time for Jake Hess. And he hangs up the phone, looks at me, and said, I just lost my job. You still want to move here? Wow. And you look back at those defining moments that if I had gone to visit him an hour earlier, I don't know what the, the entire story would have pivoted a different direction. And so I moved back, you know, went home and Labor Day weekend. I moved down. I was 17, too young to get a work permit. My parents were here to sign. If mom and dad had have had the money, they would have given it to me because they believed in me. But they knew and I knew I could not do what I felt called to do and do it from an environment that was, you know, was safe, the confines of home. And there was something else that I was dealing with during those days. It was a pretty rough physical condition. And the stress, I think, of the uncertainty, but it took a pretty rough turn. So mom and dad not only had to let me go with no money and, and a bad car and no phone, and but they knew that their kid was sick. But for me... The risk was greater if I had stayed because I didn't know if there was a long-term 
picture. So it put an urgency on, I got to do this now. And you could look back through the songs through the years, and that story is embedded in every lyric that's ever been recorded. And it's because I can't run from it. It defined me. And I think another thing that you and I have in common is that when I moved here, it was 1976, it was the year of the Reba Rambo release Lady, and, and things were beginning to change. I came as a fan. I wanted to know the story. And then when I joined the Spears in 81 for five years, I realized I was in the story. And now I look back and say, if I don't tell the story, who will? Uh, that, is the, that is so, I love that. I really do. I think I think that's true for both of us. One of the things that I've always loved when when dealing with the music business side of it is asking the artists, asking the writers, asking the people, uh, the label heads, the A and R guys, the people in the studio. Why did you get into this business? What what? Because I think our era. I mean, a lot of people, even the younger ones today. They, they're here for a reason, for the most part. When you look at some of these people, something impacted their lives from, maybe it was Toby Mac nowadays that impacted their life. For, uh, for me, it was the Rambos, for you, the Spears, and some of those other people. But we love the whole aspect, the whole thought of keeping that story alive and letting people be reminded of why we do what we do. 